So Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Hear these words. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. By the way, he's not wondering whether or not they have these things. He's basically saying, if you got these things, and you do. So he's saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you do. If any comfort from his love, you do. You have these things. If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to tightly, but made himself nothing or emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That includes all knees. It's a lot of knees. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will go that far. So much goodness there. So there are these two guys. They're from Australia. Their names are Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. They're missiologists. That's just a fancy word, fancy way of saying that they're theologians who look at theology through the lens of the mission of the church. Well, what is the mission of the church? Well, we could talk about that for days. The mission of the church is the same mission that God has. And if you look at the Bible from beginning to end, you know that the, the mission of God is putting the world back together again, making all things that are wrong in the world right again, healing the world. It's the mission of God, which means that's our mission too. In fact, these guys see themselves as missionaries to the West, specifically missionaries to American culture and the American church itself. These guys from Australia see themselves as missionaries to the American church, which begs the question, aren't we getting the job done? That's very interesting, isn't it? Now, these guys are outsiders, right? And sometimes I think it's important for us to listen to the voices of outsiders because they can give us a perspective that we might not otherwise get 
Are you with me? So it's good for us to listen to other people. So they look at the church in the West, and they look at the church in American culture, and they think to themselves, oh my goodness, they don't necessarily always look a whole lot like Jesus or act a whole lot like Jesus. Like they're saying things they're not supposed to say, and I'm repeating them to you, which feels a little bit scary. They look at the church in the West, and they think to themselves, they believe It seems like they believe all of the right things. Okay. All right, am I back on? Can you hear me now? How's that? Do I need to back up? Can I redo some stuff? How far back do I need to go? Do I need to go back to the beginning? Do y'all want to hear that again? Let me reboot the whole sermon. Two? To what? Two minutes? I don't know what that means. Peace out. Okay, second time. We're starting over. Because I think, actually, in reality, I think we need to really think seriously about these things, so I don't think it's going to hurt anybody for us to hear these things a second time. There are these two guys from Australia. One guy is named, now you're going to be like, can he do it exactly the same way, or is he going to mess it up? Let's see if I can harness my superpower memory. There are these two guys from Australia named Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. The first time I did that, those names were reversed. You can go back and check. So that's a little different, right? So they're missiologists, which is a fancy way of saying that these guys look at theology through the mission of the church, right? What's the mission of the church? Here you go. It's God putting things back together again. Our mission is the same as God's mission. And if you read the Bible from beginning to end, you know that, that God is putting things back together again, making that, in the wrong, that which is wrong in the world and making it right again, restoring the world to the way God wants the world to be where everyone can flourish. That was different too. But his mission is our mission. In fact, these guys take their job so seriously that they think that they call themselves missionaries to the West specifically to American culture and to the church in America, which again begs the question, aren't we getting the job done? Oh, I think that's super interesting. Superpower memory, gone. So these guys are outsiders, and I think it's important for us to listen to the voices of outsiders because, well, they give us a perspective that we might not otherwise get. It's really important to listen to outsiders. So they look at the church in the West, and specifically the church in American culture, and when they look at us, they think to themselves, oh my goodness, they don't look a whole lot like Jesus. They don't act a whole lot like Jesus, which can be a hard thing for us to hear, and maybe it's something we don't necessarily want to hear. They look at us and they think to themselves, they believe the right things, But the ways in which they live them out, they don't live them out in any meaningful way or in ways that are really all that transformative. So they've written a book called Re-Jesus. I commend it to you. It's a really good book. They think the church needs to be re-Jesused. It's kind of like your computer or your microphone pack, right? You've had it for a while, and it's been working fine, but then all of a sudden you start clicking things and it freezes up for a while. So when your computer or your 
phone starts acting up and freezing up, what do you do? What do the experts tell you to do? You should know by now. You reboot. How did you guys know? Right? You reboot it. You unplug it. You plug it back in. You start it again. And somehow the software gets in sync with the hardware and the whole thing works all together again. These guys look at the church in the West and they're like, y'all need to reboot. Be re Jesus, get connected back to the thing or the person who makes you who you are. Jesus. There's this other guy named N.T. Wright. Have you heard of him? I knew you had. He's a theological giant within the Christian church. He's written a billion books because his brain is bigger than any of our brains and all of them put together. He's written this book called When God Became King. Can you guess what that book's all about? Who that book's all about? Any guesses? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Book's all about Jesus. In that book, he makes a very interesting observation. He, again, he's an outsider. He's from Britain. And so he makes an interesting observation about us. Right? He says, we spend a lot of time emphasizing and talking about the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, but we ignore or de-emphasize the bits in the middle. He's British, not bad, right? We, we sort of de-emphasize the bits in the middle. In other words, we de-emphasize the life of Jesus lived out in first century Palestine. He even makes this observation. He's like, look at the Apostles' Creed, which is one of our most highest standards of faith. This is one of the things that we hold up and we say, you know what? This is what we believe distilled in as few amount of words as we can possibly have, right? He's like, look at the Apostles' Creed. Even that, when it comes to Jesus, in fact, it completely ignores the bits in the middle, Well, is he right about that? Let's test it out. How does the Apostles' Creed go? This is one of our highest creeds. He says this. It's good and right and beautiful that we hold this, right? We love it. But this is how it goes. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Then where does it go? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. What does it do? It ignores the bits in the middle. And N.T. Wright says, when we ignore the bits in the middle, we are missing out on a whole bunch. N.T. Wright, universally respected for the most part, I think he would agree with Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost that, you know what? The church needs to be re-Jesused. And that's not a bad thing. This is something that we probably ought to think about a whole bunch. Like, we need to be re-Jesused. Constantly re-Jesusing our lives. Constantly re-Jesusing our life together to make sure that we're connected to the one who makes us who we are. Are. So these guys, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, in their book, Read Jesus, they make this claim. Jesus changes everything. Who can argue with that? Jesus changes 
Everything. So we're going to play with that phrase this morning, and we're going to talk about it in light of the words that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to separate it out into three different parts. Jesus changes everything. He changes the way we see God. Jesus changes the way we see the world, and Jesus changes the way we see the church. Jesus changes everything. In one of his other letters to the, uh, the Colossians, he writes this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the icon of the invisible God. Which means, if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what God is up to in the world, we look at what Jesus is up to in the world. When we read the stories about him in this book, if we want to know how we ought to treat one another and how we ought to interact with the world, how we ought to be in relationship with one another, we look to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the way we see God. Friends, at the time and still today, if we don't recalibrate ourselves to this reality, we're missing a whole bunch. All kinds of things can get out of whack. Right? So, the God that Jesus reveals, the God that we say we love and we serve and we give our lives to is totally different than the gods that we human beings create. So different. Now, when Jesus sort of stepped out of heaven and into humanity and became a human being, the God he revealed was so different than the gods and goddesses around him. He stepped into Greco-Roman culture. Now, when the Greeks and Romans created their little gang of gods and goddesses, you know what happened? Something interesting happened. They looked a lot like us people, us human beings. And often, they look like us at our absolute worst. Now, you can read stories and myths and legends about these gods and goddesses, and you'll notice that they lied, they cheated, and they murdered. They committed adultery with one another, and they, uh, they exacted justice through vengeance and violence. They acted towards each other out of anger and jealousy. Now, these are fascinating to read, absolutely. They're like little soap operas of the gods. That's the world into which Jesus was born, and the God he reveals is different. This God loves human beings so much that he became one of us. He became one of us and then died for us. Just look at what Paul says. We're familiar with the story. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, divine, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. How many of us could give up that? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Instead of making God in our image, God's like, nah, man, I'm going to become one of you. So he becomes one of us in the person of Jesus to show us exactly 
who God really is. This God forgives when it isn't deserved. This God is generous, abundant, never vengeful. And if Jesus ever gets angry, it's always angry at the people who think they know him the best and don't live their lives that way. And God is so against sin, not because we're evil sinners, but because sin hurts us so much. Jesus gives us a revolutionary picture of who God really is. Listen to this. Jesus. Jesus says God is like a father who has a disobedient son, right? Who runs off and runs away, but the father stays at home and just does nothing more but ache and long for his son to come home. And when his son does come home, having lost absolutely everything at great cost to his father and his brother and his entire family, when he comes back, there's nothing but welcome. There's nothing but restoration to the family. He throws a party at great expense to his family. He throws a party with no questions asked. No questions asked. This, This God, Jesus says, is like an employer who pays people who show up at the last minute and they work like an hour, pays them a full day's wage. It's like, here you go. Just like everybody else. How's that for abundance? How's that, how's that for generosity? Right? And, and people, when they would have listened to these words in that culture, and I believe still today, they would have been shocked by that. They would have been thinking to themselves, what kind of God is this? Revolutionary. Friends, I think you know what this means. It means that that God is often different than who we make God out to be. God isn't some angry father up in heaven looking down on us human beings just waiting to punish us for all the ways in which we make a mess of things. It also means that God isn't just some distant God who created the world, spun it in place, and said, eh, you're on your own. We believe in a God of intimacy who left heaven, became one of us, to show us exactly who God is. And that means there's always hope. Always hope. Like, no matter how deep your depression is, there's hope. No matter no matter how tightly you feel like you're locked in that steel cage of addiction, there is hope. No matter how hot your anger burns, no matter how badly you've been abused, no matter, no matter how, how ugly your behavior or perverse your thoughts, we want to get real honest here or not, we all have them. No matter how profound your grief is, there is always hope. There's always hope because we believe in a, in a God of intimacy, the God who came near and continues to come near. We believe in a God of love, a God of transformation, of restoration, no matter what, there is always hope. Do we need to be re-Jesused? 
That's the God that Jesus reveals. Read the stories about him in the Bible. See if I'm right. Don't just trust me. Read the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the easiest places. Go there. And if there's always hope for us, then there's hope for everybody, for the whole world. Jesus changes the way we see the world. It's really easy for us, and we do it all the time. It's really easy for us to look at the world and see it as our enemy. We even use language like this. Oh, that's so worldly. As if the world is just nothing but a bunch of evil. Right? It's easy for us to look around at the world and see that it's so filled with lostness and brokenness. And oftentimes we blame others for its brokenness. I mean, we look at people flying planes into buildings. We look at car bombs happening over the sea overseas, and we think to ourselves, all Muslims are evil. They are the enemy. We see people in the street with no money, with no job, with no home, and we think to themselves, if they had just made better decisions, if they had just not been so lazy, if they would just figure it out, then they wouldn't be where they are. They wouldn't be on this. Or, or when economic downturns happen, we blame the president. We blame the banks and the CEOs of banks. And, you know, they're all evil. Democrats blame Republicans for everything that's wrong in this country. Republicans blame Democrats for everything that's wrong in this country. And the public discourse gets absolutely embarrassingly vicious. And we act like children. Like, this is what we do. This is how we see the world. It's into this world. It's into that world. It's into this culture that Paul's words shine like a light in the darkness. Listen to what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others as better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but, but also to the interests of others. Oh, my goodness. Those are beautiful words. And he can say those words with absolute confidence because you know what? That's exactly how Jesus showed us how to live. Right? Jesus recognized that every person he met, every single person with whom he rubbed shoulders was made in the image of God. And because they were made in the image of God, they deserved his best, the world's best, and they deserved nothing but love and respect. I mean, here's the deal. Again, See if I'm right. Read the Gospels. Read the stories about him in the Bible. Jesus found the image of God in the most unlikely of people. In the least likely people, he found the image of God. Right? He found the image of God in foreigners and criminals, 
Romans, Canaanites, thieves, adulteresses, and Samaritans were seen in his time as people who were by the Jewish establishment, not by everybody, by the religious people, as being on par with dogs, and they were to be avoided and treated as such. You never see Jesus doing that, ever. Lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, children, people possessed, were treated by Jesus with nothing but love and acceptance and grace and embrace. Once Jesus met this Samaritan woman at the well, she had five husbands before, and now she was living with this man who wasn't her husband. And how do you think he treated her? Read the Gospels. He treated her with nothing but but grace and love and acceptance and kindness, and he treated her with dignity that all people deserve, spoke truth to her, but treated her with nothing but grace and embrace. It's revolutionary. Friends, we believe in a different sort of God. We believe in a God who offers love and grace and healing and forgiveness to people who don't deserve it, to people like you and me, because we've been made in his image. Now we're called to be a different sort of people, offering love and grace and healing and forgiveness to people in our lives who maybe we think don't deserve it. Maybe even people we've labeled as enemies because they too have been made in the image of God. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the way we see the world. Do we need to be re jesus or what? And finally, Jesus changes the way we see the church. Now, the earliest confection, confession of this little, talk about the Apostles' Creed was good and right and beautiful. Let's go before that. Like, the earliest confession of this little tiny baby Christian church was right at the end of the passage that we, that we read this morning. And it is this. It's very simple. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Another way to translate Lord is Master. Jesus is our Master. Right? Not, not Republican ideology. That's not our Master. That's not our guide. Not Democratic ideology. That's not our Master. That's not our guide. Not American culture. That's not our Lord. That's not our master. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. Now, look at the ways in which he interacted with his closest followers. We call disciples. He demanded that they give him their entire lives. Follow me, he said. Leave behind your old lives and follow me. And then, they were always on the move, they were always on the go. And as they followed, Jesus gave them responsibility. He gave them responsibility for their own spiritual formation and the spiritual formation of of each other. He put them to work. He even sent them out into the world to teach and to heal, to put things back together again, take that which is wrong in the world and make it whole again. 
And then after he ascended, or right before he ascended into heaven, he said, go, make disciples of all nations, which is the whole world. Go into the world and do for the world what I have done for you and teach them my ways. Teach them then to do the same. He's after world transformation, y'all. Jesus changes the way we see the church. Friends, in this culture of commercialization, it's so easy for us to see this body. It's so easy for that to bleed into this, right? Because it's, so, it's, it's the water in which we swim. It's easy for us to see this place as just a, a dispenser of religious goods, and then we're the ones who are consumers of those religious goods. We come here to get, to receive, but that isn't the way Jesus is master. That isn't the way Jesus is Lord. Jesus demands all of our lives, and he puts us to work. Jesus demands that we're always on the move, always on the go. He gives us responsibility for our own spiritual formation and the spiritual formation of those who are closest to us. It's never simply come and sit in the chairs or on the couch once a week and get. There's always something to do. There's always another step to take. So as you look at your life and you think about your life, you think about your faith, and you feel like, you know what? It's just a little stale. Or if you find yourselves thinking about the world in such a way where you're like, I got all kinds of enemies out there. You're just having those thoughts, right? Or you're a part of a church community and you're just not quite sure what to do next. Well, you've got a mission and the church has a mission to do what Jesus did for the world. You might want to consider the fact that maybe you just need to be a little bit re-Jesus'd. Maybe your faith, maybe our faith together needs to be rebooted. Get back connected to the, to the one who makes us who we are, Jesus. Because Jesus, he changes everything. Let's pray.